Welcome to the Commander's Pod. Meet the cast. My name is Jeff. My name is Duncan, and together we are the, the Commander's, Commander's Podcast. Welcome again to Commander's Pod. Uh, today we're going to talk about unique deck strategies, aka decks you don't play, at least statistically. Uh, we're not talking about the popular decks and commanders. We're talking about the stuff that's out there, janky, uh, unique, whatever you want to call it. Um, but first, we're going to do a little segment that's called That Doesn't Do What You Think It Does. Uh, today's topic is generic mana versus colorless mana and what the difference is. Jeff, would you like to talk about this? <laughs> yeah, because it affected me. So because as you guys saw in the last pod, if you listened to it, which if you didn't, please go back and listen to it. And if you would, please go ahead and like it. Uh, by the way, even if you don't, just be nice to us because we're great guys. But uh, it affected me because I have an Eldrazi deck, which I love, and it happens to have some cards in it that operate just off of generic mana. And so I didn't understand the difference between the colorless and the generic. And so Duncan was able to help me with that a little bit. Duncan, you want to explain to the rest of the audience what that is exactly, what that difference is? So generic mana is mana which may be of any color, and it may include colorless. But basically, it doesn't matter what color it is. When you see the little number in the gray circle... That means it doesn't care what color or non-color of mana you're using, what type of mana you're using. Uh, colorless mana is a mana that lacks any color. It has its own mana symbol, which is the little diamond. Uh, waste is the basic land type that produces colorless mana. Uh, but so when you see the little diamond, it does care. You cannot use colorless uh, colored mana to to. Pay for so Duncan, a when, when a card says it creates mana of any color, then that's not going to work because it's creating a colored mana. So that's not going to allow you to create a colorless mana. Correct. So cards like Chromatic Lantern, which uh, I'll just uh, read that one for you. It's a three-cost artifact. Now it's three mana of any color. Uh, it's three generic mana. It, lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. And then you can tap it for add one mana of any color. But you cannot create colorless with this. So, yes, uh, wording matters. There is also a card uh, that recently came out as an example. Uh, Dryad of the Elysian Grove. You want to read that one, Jeff? Sure. This one says, well, first of all, it's a, a green and two colorless. It's an enchantment creature nymph. Uh, actually, that's a green and two generic. Yeah, what uh, did I not say that? Well, fun. Good stuff. Uh, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. So that means that they are wastes as well as forest, islands, etc. So the, that will produce colorless mana. Also, uh, a card I was reading yesterday, and now I don't have this one in front of me, so I'm not going to read it, but Jeweled Amulet uh, refers to type of mana instead of using the word colored or, or um, color of mana. That one will also 
produce colorless if you used colorless on it. So if it t refers to type of mana, in many instances that can produce a colorless mana because colorless mana is a type, it is not a color. Right. So that that's the difference. Uh, and like I said, it came up for us, so we figured it probably came up for other people and we wanted to share that. Or they may not know that it's affecting them. That's true. That's true. It, if, if you're Many times play groups learn how to play together. And if you all were playing this incorrectly, uh, now you know. But again, as we said before, if, if you're having fun and you don't want to change, don't. This is just so you know so that when you're out in the wild playing with others, you don't know you have a common, common ground rules to play by. Right. Uh, the next segment is a little thing we like to call what's aggravating me, but me being Jeff. So I'm going to let Jeff you're take me? this. Uh, well, I mean, that would aggravate me that if would, you think I'm I think that me. would aggravate me. I think it would aggravate my wife. Well, no, what, what's really aggravating me right now is that in the past, you would go into a Smoothie King or a health food store or something like that, and it's the advertising that really gets to me, Duncan. Normally, when I go to buy something, I want to know what that product has. Like, this has double chocolate chips. That's a good thing. Chocolate chips are good. I want more of them. Or it has an Oreo with double Oreo. It's telling me what it has, and these are things that I desire and want. Also, You, you seem to like double. Double yeah, seems to be double a Double things is good, yes. By the way, that's also true for mana. By that the way, true. bringing that back to magic. But in general, I want to know what something has. And not only that, but... I want it to taste good, all right? So I'm looking for things that taste good. And then the other thing that I'm looking for is the picture on the box needs to be of the product I'm going to buy. If I'm going to buy a chocolate chip cookie, I don't want to see a picture of a clown. I want to see a picture of the cookie I'm getting, right? Well, when you're in these other places, rules are different. And so you'll go to buy a chocolate chip cookie, and all it tells you is everything it doesn't have non-GMO, doesn't have this, doesn't have that, none of these other things. And then not only that, there's not a picture of the cookie. There's a picture of a tree. I don't understand why this works. My whole life I haven't understood how this works. But here's the kicker, Duncan. Here's the point that really aggravates me. Now I have to be healthy, right? Because you get old, you either choose to be healthy or your body makes you be healthy. So now I have to be healthy? This is now how I order food. I want to know what's not in it. And I want to buy this stuff with a plant on the front of it. It's unbelievable. And it's seriously aggravating me. It sounds like a conspiracy, folks. Watch out for it. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, next we're going to talk about today's main topic, which is unique deck strategies or sub-strategies. These are things that not everybody's playing. Uh, so first, we want to talk about the things that are that people are playing. So the more common things. Jeff, you want to talk about some of these? Sure. We got uh, Control. Uh, so that's where you like to control the game. You like to control the board state, uh, counter spells, control creatures, uh, things of that nature, which control how the game flows. So, by the way, that's kind of how Duncan likes to play. And this one, next one here, he might not admit it, but well, he also likes this. Th this is really a subsection of control, but stacks. Yes. Stacks, as we mentioned before, it's uh, it's it's making things cost more. It's keeping things from untapping. It's basically grinding the game to a slow stop. Yeah, so they can get into their win condition. And the next one we got is Voltron. And Voltron is pretty interesting. Voltron is basically the idea that you want to take your commander, or it could even be a card in your deck sometimes, but in general it's mostly your commander, 
you want to pump that commander up as big as you can get, swing out to attack people for, for commander damage and kill them, it tends to be one of the strategies that's easier for newer players. Right. And that, that's really a subsection of the aggro strategy, as is the next one, which is stompy or weenie stomp. Uh, that's where you either have like lots of big creatures or even more little creatures. Sure. So the token strategy a lot of times will lend itself to either of those. Um, another one is mill or self mill. Uh, I think it probably falls under control, but, but that's where you're, you're trying to either empty your deck or empty theirs. Yeah. And again, it'll probably have blue in most of those. So you're going to have some control in there. Uh, another one is lands matter. That's where either you're, uh, like your Gitrog monster playing, uh, sacrificing lands or, or Lord Wind Grace where you're getting extra lands out, but a lot of landfall triggers and, uh, you know, half your deck or more is lands. Yeah, those could be fun decks. Uh, and then the last one we have is, uh, there's many more, but these are just examples, mid-range or a combination of themes. And, and you know, that can be anything that combines these or other, other strategies and kind of goes from there. Um, so why we're, why we chose this topic is because deck building for some of us, myself probably being near the top of that list is the most fun part of the game. And so there's a kind of a hipster movement going on within magic that I hear a lot of people don't want to play the same old stuff that everybody else is playing. It's a common complaint I hear all the time. Uh, so this is for those people that want want something a little off the beaten path, something that maybe they wouldn't have thought of or give them some ideas. Yeah, there's that great scene from Gone in 60 Seconds when uh, he goes into the car dealership and tells the guy he doesn't want something that uh, everybody at the local Starbucks is going to be driving. And uh, that's kind of true in Magic, too, is that you do want to have you don't want to sit down at a table, pull out your deck, and it's like everybody's seen it. Everybody knows what it does. And sometimes you want to have things that are a little bit interesting. Very true. So uh, the first uh, strategy that uh, I got to tell you, this is one that I, when I heard of, I was like, this is brilliant because I had never seen this in the wild. Well, and it was, you know, thought of by a pretty brilliant guy too. Right. This is the... Uh, I'm not sure he was the first one to do it, but he's definitely probably the most famous person that's doing it. It's a deflection style deck. He calls it, you did this to yourself. And what this is, is uh, util uh, utilizes spells which redirect damage or attacks and turn opponents' uh, resources against them. It's, 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 I gotta tell you, I did build a deck. Um, I'm still tweaking it. I'm still working on it. Uh, but it's a lot of fun to just kind of sit back, not do a thing. Nobody knows what's going on. And the first time they attack out at you, you cast a spell like Deflecting Palm and, and just redirect damage towards them. It has given me an interesting advantage since I actually knew what the deck did. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't <laughs> make it tough. It, it works a lot harder. It's a lot harder to work when people know it's coming. Uh, but not, it's still not impossible. But right. so deflecting palm for those that don't know, it's an instant. It's uh, Boros one red, one white, and it says next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. If damage is prevented this way, deflecting palm deals that much damage to that source's controller. So right there, they swing out. Let's say they're playing Voltron. They swing out. They're gonna, thinking they're going to do a ton of damage to you, uh, you know, get a lot of commander damage and say, and you just turn around and they do it to themselves instead. It's why having cards in your deck, guys, when you're building and gals out there, 
when you're building a deck, it's good to have cards that you can find that can deal with all kinds of odd situations. So there are actually cards out there that will stop this card from functioning. They'll say sort of things in it like this damage cannot be redirected or this damage cannot be stopped or prevented. Uh, and so there are cards out there you can find. One A great resource to use when you're looking to build decks like this is you can go on to Magic's website, Magic the Gathering, and you can actually use our card database and search for keywords. Right. The Gatherer is a great resource. Uh, I often go, go there and use it for that. There's also uh, Scryfall and, uh, of course, EDH Rec. And the guy who made this fam- famous uh, Sheldon Menery, he's the head of the Commander Rules Committee, and uh, he plays the most famous version of it. It is, uh, when I heard about this, I think on the EDH Rec podcast, uh, um, their host Joey had played against him at a, a Magic Fest, and it it just sounded awesome. So I have tried this one, a little different version from his. He uses blue, uh, white, red, and I just tried it with white, red. Um, but it's a lot of fun, so highly recommended. Uh, another strategy is Norin the Wary. Uh, this is another one I do have, and this is the one. There's a lot of versions of it out there. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a perfect name for it because everybody who's playing against it will at some point become weary. Uh, no, that's wary. He's yeah, wary. Well, I become weary. weary, so it's very sort of the same thing. <laughs> I get annoyed. But do you want to read what Norin does? Sure, sure. So he's he only costs one red mana, which is great in a commander because who doesn't love that? And he's a legendary creature, human warrior. When a player plays a spell or a creature attacks, remove Norn the Weary from the Worry from the game. Return it to the play under its owner's control at the end of turn. And he's a two-one. So when you first read this card, you may not understand what it does, and that's a good hint to everybody out there who is brewing and building decks. When you run into something and you go, "That's weird," or "That." doesn't seem to do anything take a moment pause because the guys who build these cards they're pretty smart people and uh this card might do more than you think when you start to think of its interactions and duncan since you have the deck can you tell us a little bit about how this does interact in magic so the trick here is to utilize cards that have a when a creature enters the battlefield effect because he's going to be entering the battlefield pretty much once a turn. At the everybody's end step, they will have cast a spell, they will have attacked, uh, something that triggered him to exile himself and come back, and so you're going to get these triggers over and over again. Uh, a good example of one of these cards that you can utilize is the Perforos God of the Forge. Uh, you want to read that for us, Jeff? Sure. We've got red, three generic mana, legendary enchantment creature god, indestructible, as long as your devotion to red is less than five, Perforos isn't a creature. Whenever another creature enters a battlefield under your control, Perforos deals two damage to each opponent. Then it has an ability. If all that <laughs> wording wasn't enough, it also has an ability. Uh, two, or so it'd be red and two colorless. Uh, creatures you control get plus one plus zero until end of turn. Now, the way this ability works is this is not a tap ability. So you can use this as many times as you want at instant speed so imagine what you could do with that alone but now specifically thinking about how this connects to Norn. so so the part that affects with Norn is the when another creature enters the battlefield effect so every time Norn flickers back in that's gonna be two damage to every player that 
adds up. Every single time around the board, that's going to be in a regular four-player game. That's going to be eight damage each time around with nothing else happening. You're going to have other creatures that you're going to bring in. You're, you know, with this type of deck, you can have other ways to flicker things. Uh, you know, what, however you're going to do it, that's going to add up over time. And because of their interaction with each other, you want to try to end that interaction, but it becomes very difficult because Norin is disappearing all the time. And Perforos is indestructible, uh, so it's a it's a it's a real nice sort of combo there because it's very hard to deal with. Right, things like board wipes don't affect Norin. Somebody casts a board wipe; that's the best thing that could happen for you because they wipe the board of all other creatures. But on the cast trigger, Norin exiles himself. He is not there when the spell resolves. Right, and if it's a board wipe that doesn't deal with exile or bouncing it back to your hand or something of that nature. Perforos is indestructible, so any destroy stuff isn't going to work. Right. Very true. And there's lots of other cards out there. Uh, you can feel free to look them up on EDHREC or any other site you want that are going to interact with Norn in that way. Uh, there's cards that when he enters will give you creatures, 1-1 one, one mirror or something like that. So there's ways to manipulate the board based on his coming exiling coming back. Um, and it's just a lot of fun, i got to tell you, to watch your enemy's frustration on not being able to deal with him. Uh, really, what they're going to have to do to get rid of him is an ability, something that doesn't have a cast trigger. Um, so those are few or and Or an between. oldie but a goodie, Duncan. You can't deal with the issue on the table, remove the player. That player removal is always an option. So uh, another deck strategy we have uh, is Zedru the Great-Hearted. Uh, and Zenu, Zedru wins you the game by basically giving your opponents your cards. That is a crazy way to do it. You wouldn't think that's something you want to do. So uh, Zedru, for those that don't know, he's a legendary creature, one colorless, uh, sorry, one generic, uh, one red, one white, one blue. At the beginning of your upkeep, you gain X life and draw X cards, where X is the number of permanents you own that your opponents control. And for a red, a white, and a blue... You target opponent gains control of target permanent you control. So there's a lot of different ways to, talk, to go about this. And one of the things you want to pay attention to is in, in Commander, card draw is very, very important. So any Commander that can help you pull off card draw is very nice. And so you kind of want to look for cards that affect the entire state of the game that are global effects, but you can give to someone and it won't change what they're accomplishing. Right. So that's that's one option. You can also utilize cards with big downsides. So one example of this is Illusions of Grandeur. So uh, you want to read that one for us, Jeff? Sure. That, uh, it's a uh, blue and three generic. Cumulative upkeep, two. When Illusions of Grandeur comes into play, gain 20 life. When Illusions of Grandeur leaves play, lose 20 life. Effects that prevent or redirect damage cannot be used to counter this loss of life. So the great thing about this card is you cast it. You gain that 20 life. That's right. Then you pass it to your opponent. Right. So you don't pay the cumulative upkeep and you don't lose the 20 life when it gets removed. So they're going to pay it in the beginning. They're going to pay the two. The next round, they're going to pay four. 
they're going to eventually not be able to pay it, and they're going to e- either have to find a way to remove that card and waste their resources on a card that isn't even on your board. And what's a lot of fun to point out as they're doing this is every time they pay to keep it around, they're paying for you to draw a card. So just to sort of rub a little bit of salt in that wound, <laughs> they're paying too to keep themselves from losing life, but they're also letting you draw another card because of Zedru's ability. But I will warn you, playing this type of a strategy with Zedru will gain you some uh, some attention, maybe some unwanted attention from those opponents. So uh, another strategy is to play relatively benign things, little things, things that really aren't going to have an effect overall, maybe one ones or maybe give them some extra land, something like that. It's not going to have a huge effect overall, but it still is gaining you that card draw, gaining you that life until you get your win con. Right, right. There, There's a lot you can do here with with these type of cards. And there are some you have to be careful of, though, because we're looking at Zedru's ability here. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and read this again. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you gain X life and draw X cards where X is the number of permanents you own that your opponents control. So you have to make sure that you're still currently the owner of that card. Well, if the owner, if the owner changes, that could be a problem. Well, actually, Jeff, uh, that's a good point to bring up here. Ownership of card cannot change. Only control of the card. So the owner is always you. This used to be uh, confusing back in the time of anti because uh, anti cards nobody owned and cards would refer to them. But actually, you are always the owner because it came out of your deck. Who controls it is what is what can change. Um, so... Another uh, option for this deck is to use a combination of these tactics and go with a card like Agent of Treachery. Uh, Agent of Treachery is a creature, human rogue, five and two blue. Uh, when Agent of Treachery enters the battlefield, gain control of target permanent. At the beginning of your end step, if you control three or more permanents you don't own, draw three cards. So that right there, on top of Zedru's ability, is going to draw you a ton of cards every round. So, uh, you know, cards like that can easily bring you to the win. When you're already, if you have, let's say, three cards that are out there owned by other players, uh, and uh, you take their cards with this, uh, you're going to be drawing cards like crazy. Yeah, and so, card draw is going to help you be able to answer a lot of problems out there on the board. So if you do a lot of stuff where you, there are cards that exchange control of cards, uh, switcheroo being one, things like that. Be- with that and Agent of Treachery, you, you can... Uh, come out of nowhere and be drawing cards like crazy and it's hard for people to deal with cards that are on their own board state sometimes so um plus a lot of these are going to be enchantment type cards which are a little bit more difficult to deal with than others right so zedru is a very fun way to uh to play something different there are people playing zedru but you don't find a lot of them um you want to talk about some other ways that you can play non-standard uh, decks? Yeah, you can take a commander. There's a lot of commanders out there that have many, many abilities on them. You could look at a commander like Tulane. And, Duncan, you can read what Tulane does here. So Tulane, uh, two, green, two a green, a white, and a blue, legendary creature, human druid, vigilance. Uh, whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. Then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. That's not all, though. Pay three of any color, tap, return target creature you control to its owner's hand. So if you have something you want to play again, just go ahead. 
Uh, so with him, you know, that's he's a pretty powerful commander. A lot of people are playing him right now, but you can go in a different direction. Why don't you do something like play enchantment creatures? Now you're getting double value. You're playing creatures, you're getting the enchantment abilities, and a lot of those have the ability to play them straight as auras as for something else. So, uh, But if you're playing them as enchantment creatures, you're going to get the card draw, uh, you're going to get to put a land, and you're going to get the abilities of their enchantment. And this is a type of commander with his abilities that can do really just about anything you want because his value is huge. So you can go a lot of different directions with this, even if it's not the most um, powerful, efficient, powerful way to do it. Another example of that might be a card like Atraxa, right? So you got Atraxa Praetor's Voice, green, white, blue, black. Now, normally the way you see this, this card played in a commander set, it pays attention to its second ability, but I'll start from the beginning. It's a legendary creature, angel, or... Now, I'm going to be clear, guys, here. We're not saying whore. That wouldn't be respectful. I don't know what her personal life is like. I don't know anything about her. It's horror, like a scary type of thing. Flying, vigilance, death touch. Death, death touch. Words are hard. Words are hard. <laughs> life link. And then most of the time what people pay attention to is this next part. At the beginning of your end step, proliferate. What I'm suggesting here, though, is although proliferate is great, if you just pay attention to she is a 4-4 four, four for the cost of 4 who has flying, vigilance, death touch, and lifelike, there's a ton you can do with her. There's, there really is. And I've seen a lot of different strategies come out of nowhere. Right. Uh, you know, some people do horror tribal. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's a little bit more common even. What about something crazy? What about attracts a hugs? Yeah, I don't know if you could... I mean, a, you could pull that off. It'd be weird to do. It would certainly trick your opponents as they, they're prepared to just kill Atraxa and then you start being nice to them. So that'd be an interesting reaction you'd gain from them. And there, there are things you can do, folks. There, you could be spreading plus one, plus one counters across the board very evenly, but you keep putting them on Atraxa too. Now they have to make the decision because sooner or later, you can swing out with her. You don't even have to tap her. She has Death Touch, Life Link and flying, as well as the Vigilance. Uh, they have to worry about her at some point, but it's hard to target the Hugs player. Sure, absolutely. So uh, another one is Alila Artful provoc- Provocateur. Again, words are hard. We actually have a, a saying in our play group. If you can't say it, you can't play it. So we'll keep working on it, but uh, but it's always a good idea. I don't think to... we've ever technically enforced that, though, but it is a fun thing to say. But uh, so... Let's read her. She is a legendary creature fairy warlock. One, a white, a blue, and a black. Flying, death, touch, lifelink. Other creatures you control with flying get plus one, plus zero. Whenever you cast an artifact or an enchantment spell, create a one, one, blue fairy creature token with flying. So, you know, she's a very common enchantress. Right. But what about going a little bit different? What about playing curses? Curses are enchantments. You're going to get the triggers. You're also going to get a lot of value out of those curses. Yeah, and who doesn't love being cursed? Uh, well, who doesn't love cursing, I think is more fair. But, um, you know, the, so th- the point is you can take a commander, which maybe is being played a lot, and turn it in a different direction to come up with a new idea. Just think outside the box. Come up with some different ideas. Um, work with your playgroup, and they'll give you some ideas too. So any final thoughts on that, Jeff? 
note, I'd like to see some of these decks be built. We're talking about them, but I think we need to give a couple of shot. I'm real close to building a Zedru deck. I'm real excited about it, but I just got to get it done. Right. I have my Noran deck. Um, I am actually building a Chulain Enchantress deck. Uh, I was thinking about it, and then actually when I opened the Mystery Boosters, it just became apparent I had to. So maybe at some podcast later on, we'll be able to talk about what our experience actually is with those decks and how we made it work. Right. You know, uh, the Zedru is a very common, uh, not very common, but it's a, it's a more common deck. It's a, It's pretty straightforward how it works, but a lot of people don't like playing things and giving them to other people. So it's not very popular. But uh, that one you can see in the wild. Th those ones we talked about, though, taking the commanders in a different direction. These are hypothetical things we have not tried yet. So we are going to try that, and we'll come yeah, back. Yeah, there's no chance I'm trying an Atraxa Hugs deck. I'm quite happy with my Atraxa deck, and I don't plan on hugging anyone with well, it. Well, don't you have another Atraxa, Jeff? Yeah, uh, but uh, that's going to probably be maybe plus one, plus one counters, or maybe even Sagas would be fun, but I'm not hugging anybody well, with her. And it attracts a Saga deck. I mean, I did first hear of that on another podcast, uh, the Commander's Cookout podcast, but it, that that's definitely a unique deck strategy. Yeah, that could be cool, but I'm not hugging anyone with her. She's attacking people and making them angry. That's well, her job. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but uh, let us know if you come up with some any, any ideas. You can always email us at cast at commanderspod.com and let us know what thoughts you have on some, some unique deck strategies. Uh, maybe we'll feature some of them in an upcoming show. So another the next topic we're going segment we're going to go over is what we like to call counterspell. This is where Def, Jeff and I have differing viewpoints on a subject. And today's topic is how much is too much politics. And this is something that comes up all the time and actually i have been all over the spectrum on this myself yeah he doesn't seem to be able to make up his mind well it's not just make up my mind it's certain situations i tend to be more political and in other situations the politics gets to me so it, it's really a case-by-case -case scenario with me but for me i feel like there definitely is a line that can be uh I don't, it's not a hard line or a line that's like if you cross this line you're you're playing the game wrong or something but for me there's a comfort level and when I feel like somebody won a game just because of politics, while that's great politicking, it's a hard win to swallow. It's, it's, as a losing player that lost because of the politics, it becomes, for me, a little more salty. Yeah, and for me, I think what it is is ultimately when we get upset about politics, a lot of times it's because the politics we're being present for or they're affecting us as bad politics. I think in any game where you have multiple players – you're probably winning a lot of the games because of politics, because of the type of things that occur in a game where you're quiet where you should be quiet or you point out a card's power when you should point out a card's power. But the type of politicking that I think frustrates people is a type where someone's constantly telling someone to attack another person or oh. don't pay attention to me because I'm not the scary one. Well, so telling people to attack a person, you mean you like you did – in that game we referenced uh, last episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to do that. You just don't want to do it all the time. Well, sometimes I, you want to be quiet and just let people figure out who they should attack on their so own. So let me make the situation clear. Jeff's board state was locked down. His his lands had all been turned into islands. His uh, commander was uncastable. Uh, he was definitely hurting. So his tactic, and wisely so, was to convince two, the other two players that were a little less locked down to attack myself 
and one of the other players that was also locking them down, which is all fine and good. And I'm not saying that Jeff should not have done that. However, Jeff ended up winning that game, and he had no right to win. He yeah, could not. But, but that's play. a very easy sell there, right? That's something that sells itself because they were both playing basically stacks decks. And so the other two players were very motivated to attack them anyways. It was just a matter of me every once in a while making an encouragement to be the most efficient with their attacks. And it, it did help me in the end. Uh, but, you know, politics, sometimes there's a nuance to it. There is a uh, subtlety to it that has to occur sometimes. sometimes. You were not subtle. No, not in that game. But in other games, uh, you may even say things like, you're right, guys, right now I am the threat. You probably should destroy that. And you would think that that's opposite to politics, but in reality, that is also politics. It's a type of manipulation. You're agreeing that you're the threat so that they destroy this one thing, but you're not letting them know what you have in the hand that is much scarier. So you're drawing out their responses before you play the thing that's really going to win you the game. And I got to be honest, that type of politics I never have a problem with. Right. But in the instance of this game, I was salty because the two players, they were a little younger, and I was betting on the fact that they would be hitting the uh, player to my left who was the other stacks player a little bit and then hitting me a little bit, and they'd be all over the place. But they might Jeff, divide and conquer, right? Right, right, and then that way that buys me more time. Jeff kept them laser-focused right on me. You should attack Duncan and take him out. His cards are more oppressive. Uh, whether or not that was actually true. Oh, it was true, but I didn't say who it was more oppressive to. Right, right. Yes. Uh, he kept them laser-focused on me, thereby ensuring that they did not divide their resources. Once I was gone, it was very easy to overcome Lizard to my left, and the game... Which, from, that is a person's name, as we talked about in the last episode. Uh the game just from there was Jeff's once the two of us were out. It, he, they didn't have a lot on the board yet. They, that gave Jeff a chance well, to come back. To be clear, they actually did have a lot out. But what happened was I had card draw. I had lots of cards in my hand. And this gets to an important part of the game, too, is when you're politicking, it's important to be able to know who the threat is. So threat assessment is very important. And sometimes people can get really stuck on... What's on the board? How many lands do they have? And what's on the board? Sometimes what they have in their hand is just as important as what's on the board. Someone has a bigger board state but only has one card in hand. They may not be as scary as a person with nothing on the board and seven cards in hand. However, with politics, you can turn that viewpoint right around. You can, and you should. That is part of this game, dealing with four people that you should. So what I'm hearing from you, Duncan, is that you don't appreciate bad politics, but the good politics that always occur in every game, you're actually a fan of that. You don't I, ever have a problem, in your words, uh, with that at all. It, for the most part. And and honestly, some of it has to do with where the politics are directed. You're going to feel salty when they're directed at you, whether it was rightfully so or not. And I've seen both ends of the spectrum on that. Right. Uh, the, the problem I have is... is really w what level gets to be too much because as you mentioned before sometimes we'll, people who are the threat will t announce to the table over and over that they're not and well while that's funny and, and everybody knows it's not true for those new players we are playing against sometimes that might have an effect yeah so that's an important part guys if you're going to be successful at politics really 
any type of game mechanic where there's some manipulation or subtlety, it's important that you understand what you do in one game will affect the other games. So if you're someone who constantly tells someone you're not the threat when you are the threat, you're not helping yourself in any other game because they're not going to take you seriously. Matter of fact, when you say that, they're likely to believe the exact opposite. Uh, so understand that there's some degree of honesty if you try to keep what you're saying truthful, you don't have to reveal the whole truth, but just part of the truth that helps you in a certain circumstance, that's gonna be a lot more successful. Right, and I really don't think a lot of those players who yell, I'm not the threat, they're the threat, really believe that anybody's buying it. Right. It's probably a bit at this point. Yes. Uh, but the, the players that say it and really mean it and they just say it all the time, uh, that can that can be a bit too much. The other thing is players who try and pretend that they have something they don't. A blue player who after every single spell says, aren't you going to ask me if that's okay? You don't have a counter spell in your hand on every single spell. And you're not going to counter every single spell. But here's a subtlety, folks. It is a good idea if you're worried about something that's going to go on and you want to slow someone down. If you're capable as a blue player of leaving two mana up, just so that they know there's a possibility of that counter spell. Every once in a while, you allude to the fact you might say something like, can you please read that card for me? Or ask them a question that leads them to believe you have a choice in stopping them from doing it. Maybe hold up seven mana and make a comment that it's interesting. What can you do with seven mana? I don't know, Cyclonic Rift? Things like that are very helpful and it will slow people down. Very true. And the other thing is those two blue mana being up sometimes is all it takes. You sometimes don't have to say a word. That's right. Or just do things like every once in a while when somebody plays something, look at it, pick up your hand. That's right. Set it back down slowly like you're thinking about it. This is the great thing about this game. Normally, like I said in the last pod, it's frowned upon to manipulate your friends. And magic, it's a part of the game. And that is a lot of fun. There is a line for me. It's never been crossed to the point where I'm salty enough I don't want to play. And there is some salt when it's directed at you. But I guess what we're trying to get at is know your politics. Listen to your politics. But also, within your play group, make sure you kind of at least have an understanding about how far is too far. Yeah, and have a conversation with people. Make, make sure that you're at least talking about what's going on so everybody's comfortable with the type of play that's going on. And that's really important in all aspects of magic. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, Any final thoughts on that? No, have fun playing, guys. Have fun playing, for sure. So I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for joining our pod and uh, ask you to join us next time. Uh, We'll talk to you later. This podcast has been produced by Whiskey Barrel Productions. For more information on our services, go to whiskeybarrelproductions.com or follow us on social media.